Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. It is Wednesday, my friends. We are in the middle of the week. I hope you are having a great week. If not, it's almost over. So just hang in there a little bit. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah Brimer and I am your host on Killer Instinct. Go ahead and make sure you hit that follow button if you haven't already. We post weekly episodes here and you will not want to miss it. Plus, it's free. So you guys, today's case is one that the more deep I dove into it, I just was in disbelief. I was in shock. I did not believe that something like this was real. And I can honestly say that when I start telling you about what we're going to be talking about today, I think you're going to be thinking the exact same thing. So as you can tell by the title of today's episode, we are talking about the horrific Richardson family murders. The Richardson family murders occurred in April of 2006 in Medicine Hat, Canada. So let's just dive right on into it. So Jasmine Richardson was a 12-year-old girl who was living with her two parents, Mark and Deborah, as well as her little brother, who was four years younger than she was at the time, and his name was Jacob. So Jacob was eight, Jasmine was 12, and they had their parents, Mark and Deborah. Like I said, the family lived in Medicine Hat, Canada, and Mark was an instrumentation technician in the oil and gas industry, and he had just been promoted, so the family was really excited about that and Deborah was actually in the process of trying to start her own home business as a and I know I'm going to mess this pronunciation up but it's a Reiki practitioner I know I probably really butchered that but essentially what that is is it's a Japanese stress reducing technique she had a small holistic therapy studio in the lower level of their home that the family lived in So Deborah and Mark had a pretty interesting love story. So they had actually gotten married in 1991. And when they met each other, they were actually both recovering from alcohol and substance abuse. But after going through rehab and really focusing on what their goals were in life, they were both able to bring each other out of that. Deborah actually became a mentor and sponsor at Narcotics Anonymous, which is a 12-step substance recovery program. People who knew Mark and Deborah said that they were devoted to helping people get off drugs and alcohol, and they were pretty good role models of recovery. The Richardsons loved doing things as a family, so they would always go explore new places together. They would take family trips. They would go motorcycling together. They would always have backyard barbecues in the summer. The Richardsons were actually described by a neighbor at the time as they were the family we all wished we had. Deborah was the cement who built a pleasant, happy home. And Mark's only plan in life was to do right by his family. I lived vicariously through those parents and really admired their devotion to family. End quote. So as you can tell, Obviously, just like any family, they went through their hardships, but they were really a role model for people who wanted to overcome those hardships and wanted to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like they were the perfect example of that, that you could get through something like that. So let's talk about Jasmine, who was, like I said, the 12 year old daughter. So Jasmine was described as a really happy girl. She had a good social life. She had a long, dark hair and blue eyes. 
And like a lot of young girls growing up, Jasmine decorated her room with stuffed animals and unicorns and just a lot of fantasy land type of things. She went to a Catholic school and was an honors student. And so Mark and Deborah really had no complaints as Jasmine was growing up and into her early adolescence. But just like a lot of people in their adolescent years, there is a little bit of a shift. You know, you go through an awkward stage where you kind of want to push the boundaries. I actually read a statistic that I thought was pretty interesting. I actually don't know if it's a statistic, but it was a fact. And that is that adolescents, or scientists were able to prove that adolescents are the only people that actually think that they are older than their actual age. It's the only time in your life that you think that. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. But entering her early adolescent years with her friends, Jasmine and her friend group did try to push the boundaries a little bit. And Jasmine was pretty fascinated, along with her friends, with the goth lifestyle and they started to try and mimic it. They were dressing in all black, they were wearing black nail polish, black eyeliner, using black hair dye, wearing white face makeup, and even though Jasmine was still only like 12 years old at this point, her physical features definitely made her look like she was able to pass for like 15 or 16. So she looked older than she was and she definitely took advantage of that. At this time, Jasmine also started dabbling in some social media websites, which at the time, her first one she created, or at least the first known one she had created, was something called MindViz, which is basically an online chatting website or like instant messaging. So basically, if you know what like iChat or AIM is, it's basically that, but in a website form. And on that profile, she mentioned that she was bisexual, single, and has a dog. She didn't put any age on that profile. And she also had a MySpace. And the MySpace was a little bit different. She listed her age as 16. And the interests that she put on her profile were pretty disturbing. Um, the interests were hatchets, serial killers, criminal psychology, blood, moonlight, human anatomy, and in her words, kinky shit. Mind you, she was still only in seventh grade at this point, but you can tell through all of her like actions that she was doing on these social media sites, she was definitely trying to act older than her age. Another website she was a part of was called vampirefreaks.com. Jasmine's username on this website was called Runaway Devil, and she actually stated on this website that she was 15 years old. In her profile, it stated, welcome to my tragic end and essentially I looked into vampire freaks because I wanted to know what it was and it's still on there so you can go check it out if you want but essentially it's a really creepy and twisted version of Facebook and they actually are shutting down the website in February of 2020 I believe so if you wanted to go check it out beforehand you could do that and see what it's all about. So you may be thinking that this is just a young teenage girl who's going through a rough stage, transitioning into her adolescent years and trying to figure out who she is, right? Because I feel like we all, you know, boy or girl or however you identify growing up, you go through an awkward stage where you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to figure yourself out. And so I think for Jasmine's parents, that really is what they thought that this was. But in 2006, Jasmine Richardson met a man by the name of Jeremy Allen Stank. So let's talk about Jeremy for a minute. So Jeremy was 23 years old. Okay, 23 years old. 
He had dropped out of high school and was living in Medicine Hat at a trailer park with his mom. So Jeremy was actually convinced that he was a werewolf. He would tell his friends and family that he believed that he was a 300-year-old werewolf. But psychologists believed that this werewolf facade was just Jeremy trying to hide behind his reality of what was actually going on in his life. Jeremy was bullied in school. And his mother was actually an alcoholic, and his father would physically abuse him constantly. And the marriage between Jeremy's mother and father lasted about seven years. But even after their marriage, Jeremy's mom didn't pick the best men to date, and she would usually pick men with very abusive tendencies. And when he was 14, he started dabbling into drugs and alcohol. He started self-harming. And shortly after that, he actually attempted to commit suicide. So Jeremy didn't have the best relationship relationship with women. He was always dating younger women than him. And when he was 20, he dated a 17 year old and actually ended up getting her pregnant. And after that, the girlfriends of his just got younger and younger and younger. Before this, he only had a few run-ins with the police, but those were just for like minor things like shoplifting, sorry, shoplifting and bouncing checks. But in the summer of 2005, when Jeremy was 22, he started to get more interested and invested in this goth lifestyle. He started wearing all black. He started spiking his hair up. He wore eyeliner. He started getting into really heavy metal music. He would also wear a cold weather mask, you know, one of those ones that you would wear when you're like skiing or if it's really cold outside and it covers the lower half of your face. Jeremy would wear those masks and then he would wear a big black hood hoodie. So essentially you could only see his eyes and they were really accentuated because he would just wear a bunch of black eyeliner. So Jeremy and Jasmine ended up meeting at the mall through their mutual friend Kaylee, who was 13 at the time. I'm going to reiterate that Jeremy was 23. So why he was hanging out with 13-year-olds, I'm not sure. But the encounter was pretty platonic at that point because they were with such a big group of people and they didn't really interact that much. But that would all soon change. So in December of 2005, Jasmine and Jeremy started going to punk rock shows where they would hang out together and you probably guessed it, they started dating. Yes, they started dating. Mark and Deborah were 1000% against this relationship for very obvious reasons. They did not want Jasmine hanging out with men who were so much older than her. And they told Jasmine that she wasn't allowed to see Jeremy anymore. Now, this obviously made Jasmine very, very, very angry because she did not like being told who she could and could not hang out with. She did not like being told who she could and could not date. And similar to a lot of teenagers, when Jasmine's parents put down those guidelines, Jasmine tried to find ways around those guidelines. And this is where Jasmine really started to tell people outside of her family how much she was struggling at home. So Jasmine started complaining to her friends and the school guidance counselor about how much she hated it at her house because the rules that her parents enforced. She said that she hated the fact that they weren't letting her date older men. She hated all the rules that they had. They were way too much to handle. She said she felt like she was living in a prison. And so due to all of this, Jasmine's relationships with her parents went pretty downhill fairly quickly. 
They would constantly get into arguments. She was constantly grounded and she wasn't able to do the things that she wanted to do. Mark and Deborah basically banned her from going to punk rock shows because those are the places that she would meet Jeremy at in person. So the communication between Jeremy and Jasmine turned into basically just talking on the phone late at night as well as online messaging. So in the months leading up to the family murder, which I promise we will get to, I just think it's important for you guys to have a clear, distinct picture of what was going on here. Jeremy and Jasmine exchanged messages online, like I said, and I want to read you a message that was sent from Jeremy to Jasmine on March 13th, 2006. So here we go. It starts, how goes it? You were a sight for sore eyes and I miss you more than killing people. Can we get together and kill people together? I have a poem for you and you shall see it when I see you. Well, I guess I should go. Love you tons. Jasmine then responded to this letter with killing people. Yes, we shall. I miss you too. A large, large amount that cannot be contained in mere words. I wish to see this poem. Love you. And if that is not terrifying enough, three days later, Jeremy was messaging with one of his friends about the plan that him and Jasmine had come up with to murder her parents. This plan said, the whole point of killing them would be to start a spree across Canada, kind of like the legendary Mickey and Mallory lovebirds. Have you seen the movie Natural Born Killers? It's the best love story of all time. I love it so much and I want to do it myself. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So after continuously arguing and a bunch of conversations with her parents, Mark and Deborah finally allowed Jasmine to go to another punk rock concert with her friends on March 17th, 2006. So Jasmine went with her friend Aubrey, and of course, she met up with Jeremy there as well. During a break in the set, the three of them walked outside, and Jeremy and Jasmine ended up walking off together down some alleyway. And so this is when Aubrey was actually confronted by Deborah and Mark. So Deborah and Mark showed up to the show to basically, I don't know if they were spying on Jasmine or there to pick her up. But when Deborah realized that Jasmine wasn't with Aubrey, Aubrey and Deborah started looking around for her. And when they went down the alley and turned the corner, they found Jasmine and Jeremy together and they were making out. 
So this obviously threw Deborah through the biggest loop. And when Jeremy saw Mark and Deborah, because Mark ran down the alley too after this, he turned around and bolted in the opposite direction. Jasmine was grounded for a month. Her computer and phone privileges were taken away. Her music was taken away. They took away her makeup. She basically was just to wake up, go to school and go home. That was basically it. So this drove Jasmine crazy, like to the brink of anger. She felt like she was a prisoner in her own home and she felt like her parents did not love her. Just, I just want to reiterate to you that Jasmine is 12 years old, 12, okay? 12 years old, 12 years old, okay? Not 15, not 16, not 17, 12. Let's continue. So let's talk about the murder. Let's now discuss the night of the murder. So Jasmine and Jeremy planned this out for a while. They talked about different scenarios, what weapons they wanted to use. According to Jasmine, she says that it was Jeremy who was one that introduced the idea of murdering her parents. So in the early hours of April 23rd, Jeremy showed up to Jasmine's house or the Richardson's family house. And after he entered the house, he ended up walking down to the basement. So Deborah actually woke up because she heard a noise and thought that Jasmine was sneaking out of the house. So Deborah walked down to the basement and she turned on the light and that is when she saw Jeremy standing there in a face mask, black fishnet arm stockings, a leather wristband, a neck bandana, and his eyes fully lined in black eyeliner. Jeremy slashed Deborah with a knife and by the sound of her screams, Mark ended up bolting down into the basement. He saw Deborah lying on the floor, and Mark actually put up a really strong fight against Jeremy. He had ran towards Jeremy, which caused Jeremy to fall over, which is when Mark jumped on top of him and attempted to stab him with a screwdriver in the chest. Jeremy knocked the screwdriver out of Mark's hand, and then Mark shoved his thumb into Jeremy's eye. While Mark was still on top of him, that's when Jeremy began to stab him repeatedly. Mark was able to get away and attempt to choke out Jeremy, but that's when just Jeremy started stabbing him again, and Mark's injuries were too severe for him to continue to put up a fight. With his last breaths, Mark asked Jeremy, why? And Jeremy responded, because you treated your daughter like shit and it's what your daughter wanted. Can I, like, oh boy, you guys, this just mm, makes me so mad. Anyways, moving on. After that, Jeremy walked upstairs and he met Jasmine in the kitchen. And that's when she turned around and walked upstairs into her brother Jacob's room. When she got into Jacob's room, she attempted to suffocate him by putting him in a headlock. And Jacob kept asking Jasmine, what are you doing? And he essentially was able to break free. And once he was able to get away, he walked into the hallway, but that is when Jasmine resorted to stabbing Jacob instead until he was dead. Jacob actually had his throat slashed by his own sister. So, oh God, okay. While Jasmine was packing up her things to leave with Jeremy, Jeremy actually left her in the house by herself. Jeremy apparently was having a panic attack and wanted to leave the house and didn't want to wait for her. So he got into his truck and drove home by himself with Jasmine left in the house. And Jasmine, when she went downstairs and realized that Jeremy was gone, she called a cab and drove to Jeremy's trailer. At that point, Jeremy and Jasmine thought that the hardest part was done and they could go now and live their life together. But that was the farthest thing from the truth. 
So the following day, there was a neighbor who was supposed to go over to the Richardson's house to have a play date with Jacob. And when he got there and looked in the house and realized no one had answered, he looked in the window and he thought that he saw a body laying on the ground. And so he ran back home and told his mom and his mom ended up calling the police. And once the police officer pulled up to the house, it was one officer at the time. He looked through the basement window and thought he saw a body, which is when he called other officers for backup. When the police entered the house, that is when they found Mark, Deborah, and Jacob that had all unfortunately passed away. At first, no one thought that Jasmine could be responsible for this, so she was not a person of interest. And in fact, the people there were more so worried for her and like worried for her safety because she wasn't in the house. And because of this, the police issued an Amber Alert for Jasmine. But then police did some more searching in Jasmine's bedroom and in there they found all of her digital messages online with Jeremy, what they planned of how they were going to execute this murder, all of the messages over the social networking websites they would use, and all of the emails they exchanged with each other. And then it became very clear to police what was going on here. And the police then switched gears to still wanting to find Jasmine, but not for the reasons that they initially thought. After searching for Jasmine, the two of them were ultimately found on April 24th, 2006, inside of Jeremy's truck about 80 miles from Medicine Hat, and that is when they were both arrested. While they were in prison, they would write letters back and forth to each other. Jeremy actually asked Jasmine to marry him in these letters, and Jasmine said yes. Jasmine's trial was in 2007, and at that point, she was only going by the initials JR because she was so young. She stated that she had hypothetical conversations about killing her family, but that she never intended on following through with it. She said that she was in a zombie-like state while Jeremy killed her family, and once it started happening, there was nothing she could do to stop him. On July 9th, 2007, Jasmine was found guilty on three counts of first-degree murder. She is the youngest person ever convicted of murder in Canada. On November 8th, 2007, she was sentenced to the maximum of 10 years in prison. And I know when I say that, you might be thinking, how in the world can she only get 10 years if she has just been charged with three counts of first-degree murder? But under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, because Jasmine was under the age of 14, she cannot be sentenced as an adult, and the maximum sentence she could be receiving is 10 years. So she got the maximum sentence for her age, but, you know, three counts of first-degree murder. Murder, 10 years. Yeah, complicated. As for Jeremy, he actually pleaded not guilty to the murders he had already confessed to. And Jeremy said, when you found your soulmate, you do anything for them. I did anything, end quote. He was sentenced to three life sentences and is currently serving them to this day. He was 25 years old when he was sentenced in 2008. But it doesn't end there, folks. It does not end there. So in 2011, Jasmine apparently was doing very well in her rehabilitation programs that she was in. And according to her psychiatric assessment, she was diagnosed with conduct disorder and defiant disorder. In September of 2011, she attended some classes at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. And in 2016, at the age of 23, Jasmine received parole and was released from prison. If she remains out of disobeying the law, she will be off parole in 2020, which is in less than like seven months, eight months. 2020 is literally right around the corner. So 
With this all being said, I am so curious to know what you guys think of all of this because you've heard the story, you heard the verdict, Jasmine served her time and now she's out. Jeremy is serving the rest of his life in prison. I'm pretty sure that he'll be able to apply for parole in 25 years or something like that. But the chances are that he's going to be spending a very, very, very long time in prison. When I was doing my research on this case, it honestly reminded me a lot of the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case where Gypsy and the boyfriend that she met online, Nick, ended up murdering Dee Dee, Gypsy's mother. Now that was its own set of totally different circumstances and totally bigger issues as far as, you know, why the motive there. Jasmine's motive was that she was mad at her parents for not letting her date a 23-year-old when she was 12. But just all in all, it did remind me a lot of that case. But I'm very curious to know, in your guys' opinion, do you think that this is more so the fault of Jasmine? Do you think it's more so the fault of Jeremy? Do you think Jasmine should be able to walk free to this day? Or do you think that she really, you know, had this in her the whole time? If she was capable of killing, the act that she did herself is that she killed her eight-year-old brother. She did that on her own. Jeremy was the one who killed her parents. So my question for you guys is that, do you think that this is a case of, you know, Jasmine was completely brainwashed Washed by this man who was over 10 years older than her and she just kind of followed his lead and he was the leader in all of this and it was because of him that this happened or do you think that you know if a 12 year old is able to kill their parents that they've always had it in them and it doesn't matter who brought it out of them because it was going to come out eventually I guess I'm just very curious to know what area you guys are leaning towards because honestly I do think that this was a dual act. Like, I feel like this was a very, you know, not just Jeremy wanting to kill her parents. I think that this very much so came from Jasmine as well. But I also know how vulnerable and naive and easily manipulated 12-year-old girls are. I mean, it just happens when you are so infatuated and you think you're so in love with someone and they tell you that it's going to be great. We just got to get your parents out of the way. I mean, when I say that out loud, I feel like I sound crazy because I don't know who you could say that to and they would be like, you know what, you're right. But I also kind of can see where she could have fallen off track a little bit and been like, you know what, you're right. Like, let's do this and then we're going to go off and live happily ever after. I see it from that perspective as well. I think that, you know... I don't feel like 10 years is enough personally for Jasmine or at least not enough to be completely, you know, scotch free in a year. No, not having to deal with anything that she did in the past. I get it. She was 12 years old, but I just don't feel like that is enough. I don't believe that she should be unsupervised and unwatched if she, I mean, I, but that's where I get caught up because I'm like, she's only 12 when she did this and she was apparently doing very well in her rehab programs, but I don't know the fact that she was able to murder her parents and her brother. She was able to slit her own brother's throat. Let me repeat that. She was able to slit her own brother's throat and we're going, or I mean, not we, but Canada is going to let her walk free in a year it it just i doesn't sit right with me it just does not sit right with me i feel like if you have the capability of doing that 
you know, because we're not talking about she just killed some stranger. She just stabbed some stranger because she was in love with this guy. Not that that would make it any better, but I'm just talking about the magnitude of the situation because it was her eight-year-old brother that she slit the throat of. She was able to go upstairs. First, she tried to suffocate him. Then she tried to, or didn't try, she succeeded in stabbing him and slitting his throat. I think that that being able to do that doesn't sit right with me at all. I just have a really big problem with thinking that she doesn't, you know, have the like the capability of doing something like this again. I don't think it's out of the question and I don't know if I fully believe that she should be able to walk completely free. But that is just my opinion, and I am so curious to know yours. So please, as always, either DM me what you think about these cases or email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. And my socials, just so you know if you want to DM me your thoughts, are just Savannah Brimer, S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H-B-R-Y-M-E-R. That is all from me today, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, like I said, hi, my name is Savannah Brimer. I am your host here on Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that follow button because A is free, but also so you're notified every time we post an episode. We post episodes every Wednesday here, and I would love, love, love nothing more than to have you a part of this family with us. With that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. So I hope you have a great, great, great rest of your week and stay safe, you guys. I'll see you next week.